Well, in light of Black History Month, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, you've probably heard a million quotes. This may be a new one to you. From Martin Luther King Jr., nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscious stupidity. So coming from Martin Luther King Jr., what's the most dangerous thing in the world? Sincere ignorance and conscious stupidity. What do we think of what is conscious stupidity? We might use the word today, willful ignorance. Willful ignorance. Um, It's when someone is is able to know, they're able to learn, they're, they're able to listen, but they choose not to. But, but they don't want to hear what you have to say because it's, sometimes it's easier to believe a lie than it is to, to change your whole way of thinking, right? Um, the king, king was talking about a, a phenomenon in that day where people would willfully choose to be stupid and ignorant of a racialized society, uh, you know, back, back, back then, right? Um, back in the day when America was... was, was the world's compass, right? <laughs> let's, let's, let, let's leave that back there. But, but today we've improved, right? <laughs> today we've come so far and we all want to talk about history. We all want to talk about civil rights. No, that's starting to get banned in schools. Because we've, we've progressed so much, right? Amir, luck. <sighs> today we're going to see that nothing in the world is more dangerous than willful ignorance. Today we're going to look at the light of the world as the title of the sermon and what Jesus says. And so to do that, we're going to look at the metaphor, we're looking at that, look at the memory and the meaning. So the metaphor, the memory, and the meaning. So what what is the metaphor? That's clear. Verse 12, this is a famous passage. Jesus tells us in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, today, when we hear the phrase, the light of the world, it, it almost, we, we almost miss the depth of that metaphor. Because in our day, we say, like, you know, honey, can you turn on the light? Um, or we're like, oh, I can't see under the couch. Let me grab my phone, which would sound so foreign to people from the 80s, right? <laughs> Let me grab my phone <laughs> to look at something under the couch. Uh, because light is just so accessible to us right now with all of our devices and light switches and things like that. Um, But in that day, that metaphor of I am the light of the world meant a little bit more than what we're thinking of here. Because light is both brilliant and dangerous. It is both brilliant and dangerous. Um, Think about how dependent we are if we lost our light, if we lost our sun. Our, 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 our light gives us so many things. And I say the three things that you could, talk, you could look at are, are its life, uh, its understanding, and its joy that the light brings. And so life, the sun or the source of light is the source of life. Because if we lost the sun, let's say we lose the sun for just three months, just three months of the year. We, it's completely gone. What would happen to us? We freeze to death, right? <laughs> like last week, <laughs> this morning, the sun is still there. <laughs> And yet we are freezing. We're like, you walk outside, you're like, this is stupid cold. I hate this. (laughs) Right? It's so cold. And the sun is still there. To imagine having the sun taken away completely, how much much colder that would be, right? Now, let's say that sounds dire. That sounds extreme. 
So let's, let's imagine something a little bit, take it a step back. Uh, let's say for some reason someone decided to block the sun. Some sinister bad guy from like Despicable Me, you know, creates a giant umbrella <laughs> the size of the world to block the sun. So it's still there. We still get its heat. But what, what, what would happen if we don't have, have just the sun rays? It's light coming at us. Well, all of our plants would die, right? We have photosynthesis taking that light and making it into, into energy, into life. And so if the plants would die, then our food supply would run out, right? And so we would die from that. And so sun, if you just think about it, it's the most basic source of life that we have in the world. The sun is the most basic source of life. And so what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I am your life, I keep you alive. And if we block out that sun for an extended period of time, yes, we'd freeze. We'd go starving if we block out access to God. But light isn't just the source of life. It's the source of understanding and reality and truth. And so if you think about it this way, you, there are many ways that you can learn things. Um, it, let's say you wake up in the middle of the night and you, you want to know your path to the closet. There's an easy way that most of us do. We grab a cell phone, or we grab something to give us a little bit of light to, to, to light our way, right? Or maybe we have the closet door cracked just so much just to give a little bit of light so we know what's, what's ahead of us. That's one way of knowing your path. Another way that some people like to do is they just wanna, they wanna learn, they wanna know understanding of what's on their path through sense, through touch. And so you wake up and you walk and you're like, ah, you step on your Legos. You're like, oh, yeah. So you learned in that moment that my son left his Legos right there. And you're like, I would much have rather to learn in a different way <laughs> because we learn in so many different ways. We learn through our, our, our touch, through our, through our smell, through our ears. Like We learn these things. But the simplest way to learn is through our sight, to be able to see what's ahead of us. And it's just so simpler to have a light so you can go, I would much rather go around the Lego than on top of it and through it. I don't want to learn the hard way, right? And so light gives us understanding. It, 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 makes, it makes sense of things. It is just giving us the truth. Light is telling you it is what it is. So if you were to go home right now and you turned on your closet light and you just see you know, coats all over the ground, shoes everywhere, you don't go to the, the, the light and you're like, dang it, light! This is all your fault, right? Like, it's not the light's fault. The light is revealing what we did, that we are just lazy human beings. Not my family. This is not a real story. Uh, <laughs> some fictitious family over there, right? The, the light reveals reality to us. It is what it is. And so the light is telling us the truth. And we can either be mad at the truth or, or acknowledge for it for what it is. It bears witness to reality. And so there's this funny little exchange that happens in verse 15. Jesus says to them, you judge by human standards, I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, <laughs> I just love that, <laughs> I pass judgment on no one, period, but if I do judge, <laughs> my decisions are true because I am not alone, I stand with the Father who sent me. And then if you jump down to verse 26, he says, I have much to say in judgment of you. <laughs> I pass judgment on no one, but I have a lot of judgment for you. <laughs> it is just, what do you say, Jesus, right? Jesus is, is not saying two different things here. Um, he, he's trying to speak to them in their level, right? 
Jesus said he did not come to judge the world, but to save it. And so Jesus' primary purpose is not to come with judgment, but to save it. And that word that they're using for judgment, that these Pharisees have adopted for judgment, is really just all this external criteria. It is this, it's this shaming judgment. And Jesus said, I'm not coming with that type of judgment, but I have a lot of judgment for you, meaning I'm coming to bring the light of reality of what's happening in the world. And so I have a lot of judgment for you. Let me turn the light on so you can see the mess that's right there. And so he's shining the light, bringing reality, and that's the other sense of the light. The last thing the light does is it comes about as this metaphor of light is that Jesus is our life, our, our understanding, but he's also, he brings joy. Light brings joy. Some of you are solar-powered. Anyone feel like they're a solar-powered human being? Many of us are, right? <laughs> if the sun is here, we are high-functioning human beings. Um, this, is, this is who we think is the real us. But when the sun is away, it affects some of us in, in very, very great ways, right? Like some of, some of us, when the winter months hit and it gets colder and it gets darker, we get sadder, right? Despite, despite the global pandemic, despite increased polarization, despite uh, having to be thrust into working in new environments, despite new, uh, broken friendships on top of which is already a really hard life, we're now in the thick and probably the worst time during the season where it just is so cold and it's so dark. And so maybe you don't have this, this seasonal effectiveness disorder or sad. Maybe you've not been diagnosed with that, but I think all of us react somewhat to the light being gone. It does change our mood. It, change, it saps our joy because light just, it brings joy. And in the absence of that, you look at any horror movie, that's what happens. The monsters don't come out in the middle of the day while you're on a, on a, on a picnic in the park. Some horror movies might, if you want to judge me later and tell me that happened in this movie, that's fine. 98% of the time, <laughs> it happens in the dark. And most of us, if we're deep down, we're actually still afraid of the dark. Maybe we're okay with our room in the dark because we know what's there. You walk into somewhere else you don't know in the dark. Why? It's scary. There's something that is, is taken away from us. And so Jesus, when he comes here, he says that I am, I am, I am the light of the world, meaning I am, I am your true joy. I'm your source of joy. And if, if we're solar-powered here on earth, just naturally from our sun, he's trying to say the same thing. That you are solar powered from Jesus as well. That he is the light of the world. And as you take in the rays of the beauty of the gospel and Christ's love comes to you, like we realize we need that. Because we live in a dark world where everyone is, is full of judgment. And I need to hear, I love you, my beloved. Like I need to hear that. We need those rays of light coming to us. And so, so light is needed and it is wonderful and it is beautiful. But too little light, we could die. In too much light, what happens here on earth? We could die, right? Like if you have too little light, you take the sun away, we'll freeze. But if, if all you do is just are stuck in the sun all day, every day, it starts to kill you, right? This is, this is how it works. Unrestrained light, un, unhindered light goes from brilliant to dangerous. We desperately need light, fact, but we see, how, you know, we see how trees bend themselves to get into that one little ray of light that's under the canopy, and they, they need that light for their life. 
But a tree that's just stuck in the light with no water and things like that, it can, it'll burn it. But you think of us as well. It, it'll literally kill you to just be in, in full-blown sun all the time where the sun rays are coming down on you and producing cancer and it's going to kill us. If you get the light of the world, not only will it fill you, it will kill you. Great. <laughs> well, what do we do with that? Well, let's move from, move from the metaphor to the memory. Maybe this will make sense. Uh, whenever you read scripture, um, we need to ask, who is it written to? What's the context? What's going on? You know, what's going on in the surrounding passages? And if you remember from last week, if you weren't here last week, we read the first part of John 8. Um, but if you do remember, uh, that is a section where it says, you know, let he who's without sin throw the first stone. Remember that? We also remember that that is a section of scripture that we don't think was actually in that sequence of events. That it may not have been written by John, it could have been written by Luke, but the early writers put it there, not sure where to put it, right? And so most of the early church uh, leaders would preach from the end of chapter 7 to verse 12 and just go right through it. So what does that mean is where is Jesus at when he's giving this, this talk? He is in Jerusalem, he is in the temple, and it's still the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Some of y'all are like, I don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) Okay, quick review. (laughs) Still the last day of this this big feast, this Feast of Tabernacles, this Feast of Booths. Uh, And so it's it's in harvest time. It's in late September. The Jewish nation has this feast once a year to remember what God did for them. And so, I don't know about you, I have a terrible memory. (laughs) My wife will tell you that. (laughs) I have a terrible memory. And so many of us, if we don't do certain things to help us remember um, what's happened in our history, it'll be lost and gone forever. But something happens. If, if we do some physical act, if we see some, some event or some street corner, it unlocks all of these memories. And you're like, oh yeah, that's what happened. And so every year they would celebrate this Feast of Tabernacles to remind them to unlock all the memories of a way the Lord had provided for Israel how he provided for them while they were in the desert. And so, remember, God's, God says, I'm going to take you out of slavery. I'm going to take you out of slavery. I'm going to bring you to the promised land. But before you get to the promised land, you're going to have 40 years of wandering in the desert. 40 years of wandering in the desert. And 40 years of not, knowing, not having a home, not having a consistent food supply, not knowing where you're going, 40 years, we're going to be completely dependent on God. And so this Feast of Tabernacles or Booths uh, is where they had had three great elements to remember God's faithfulness. We've talked about two of them already, if you've been with us in our series. Uh, The first one is that they would set up a tent. It was a week-long camping trip, all right? They set up a tent to remember when God brought them in the wilderness in these tents. So maybe at home, if you want to celebrate that this week, you have a week-long building a fort, um, right? For kids, you probably would really thank your parents. Um, right, this is what they would do. They would build this week-long camping trip. But then the second thing they would do is that the, every day of the feast, the priest would get a giant bowl of water, and they would do this great procession where they'd be singing songs, and they pour it out, and it was to remind them the way God provided water for them when he struck a rock in a place where you're like, where are you going to get water? But God provided for them. He provided them housing. He provided them water. And you get the theme that God will provide for you. God's saying, I got you. But the third thing they would do that was what uh, we, haven't, we haven't explored yet of what God would do uh, in this is that the third thing they would do, they would, they would light these enormous candles, these candelabras. I mean, 
Some of you guys are thinking small candles. Think like Viking torches. <laughs> These enormous candles, torches, blow torches, right? Um, and they, they were symbolizing this light in the wilderness. You ever wonder how Israel knew where to go when they left slavery? Like, all right, let's go. Where are we going? <laughs> well, how did they know where to go? It was simple. They just had to follow the light. They just had to follow the, the light. And so in the middle of the day, they would see this, this pillar of smoke, and wherever the pillar went, they, they would follow. And at night, that pillar, you could see with all the darkness now coming down, the, the sun going down, you could see it wasn't just a pillar of smoke. It was a tornado of fire that was guiding them. That was, that was the presence of God. And what, did, what do we call that presence? We call it the Shekinah glory light. It is the, the, the full effulgence splendor of God Almighty. And so that, that, that is, that is the, the presence of God, and this is what they're celebrating when they light these candles, the presence of God in their midst. But uh, at, at this feast, every day they would light that candle, but on the very last day of the feast, they wouldn't light the candle. On the last night, they wouldn't light the candle. Um, they, they would start packing up things, and it was kind of a sad thing. But the lights were out. Just you think about when you take down all your Christmas lights, you're like, that's kind of sad. Like some, you realize it's an end to a season. It's an end to something important. And something has passed us. And so it's on this night that Jesus stands up in front of the crowds and says, with all the lights gone, he says to them, I am the light of the world. Meaning, I am that glory light that you've been symbolizing and thinking about. I am the presence of God with you here. Right? People, people then didn't get it, which you, you, as you read this passage here, they didn't get it. Verse 19, they're like, I don't know what's happening. Then, uh, verse 19, then they asked him, where is your father? And he says, you don't know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching them in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. I think that phrase, yet no one seized him, makes you realize the severity of what Jesus is doing here. Why did, why did John feel the need to say, yet no one tried to kill him? Because <laughs> he's like, he said that and no one killed him? <laughs> he just claimed to be God? He claimed to be the Shekinah glory light and no one tried to murder him? You, you, wild, right? <laughs> to them, this was sacrilegious. He claimed to be God's light. And yes, yes, as we said, the light is brilliant and beautiful, but it's dangerous. What happened when people got too close to the kind of glory? Sometimes they get struck down dead. When you get too close to that, Exodus 33.1, you think about this, is, this is a funny interaction. God is talking to Moses. He says, then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go up to the land I promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. <laughs> it just ends so sour. <laughs> go to this beautiful land, land flowing with milk and honey. <laughs> but I might destroy you along the way. <laughs> uh, yay, prison break. God's on our side. We're on God's team. He also might kill us. <laughs> it just, it, it rings hollow, types like this. Why does it say that? 
Because it's emphasizing God's holiness. That he's just so holy. His otherness is, is too bright for people to handle. I mean, just a few verses later, Moses is begging God. He's almost demanding God to show him his face. Moses is like, I want to see you face to face. And God says, no. He says, the light would kill you. The only, well, there's one way to comprehend this. Like, we go outside, we can do a little field trip. We can all go look at the sun, just for, just for a second. <laughs> just glancing at the sun, it begins to hurt our eyes, right? You stare at the sun for too long, you start to go blind. Like that, I think that's, that's a little bit of a, a picture of what it means to be around something that's so other, that's so much more powerful, that we are not prepared to meet that it would just blind us, but not just blind us, as in here, it would destroy you to be in that. And so Moses is saying, God, I want to see you face to face. I want to show me your glory. And God says, you can't do that, but I will take you, Moses, and I will, I will hide you in the cleft of a rock, and I will pass by you without you seeing me face to face. And we wonder, is that good enough? Is that good enough? Do we, is, are we okay with just having that access to God? Like, what, what is wonderful is Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. Meaning, well, the reason they're trying to kill him is because Jesus is saying, what Moses couldn't even see himself is now standing before you proclaiming that I am that light. I am the Shekinah glory presence. So no wonder they're like, this guy's crazy. He thinks he's that? We're not getting blown away right now. And so they, they, they want to kill him. And so we've seen the metaphor. We've looked at the, back at the memory. But now what's the meaning for us? Verse 27. They did not understand that, what, that he was telling them about his father. You know, big no surprise. <laughs> Verse 28. So Jesus said... When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. So they're confused, and maybe you are too. But when does Jesus say they will then understand it? He says they will understand it when the Son of Man is lifted up. That's when things will start to click. What does that mean? The Son of Man is it, the... It's the title for Jesus himself. When Jesus is lifted up, when he's lifted up on the cross, where he bled and died for your sins, then things will start to make sense. When the blinding light of judgment, when it comes down and it should be shined, not on a dirty closet with shoes and things like that, when it should be shined on selfish, greedy souls, when the blinding light of God's judgment meets, meets our unholiness, it should just demolish us. But instead, that blinding light comes down not on us, it comes down on Jesus. That, that God's judgment comes down on Jesus instead of us. And that's when things start to make sense. How can we be in the presence of God? It's because Jesus took that judgment for us. And so he, by that nature, he makes us holy. He makes us be able to be brought into that presence of God. Jesus is that cleft of the rock that we can hide in. And we can find 
salvation in and comfort in. So because of Jesus, we don't have to worry about being blown away by God's presence. Like, how close can we get to God? Does we have to have, do we have to have six feet? Do we have to get behind, behind a rock? What, the crazy thing about this passage is that in this passage, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But many of you might be remembering in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, uh, 5.14, he says, you are the light of the world. So which is it? <laughs> is Jesus the light of the world or are we the light of the world? Yes is the answer. <laughs> Always the answer. Jesus says that you are the light of the world. <laughs> what is he saying? That is he saying this because God's spirit has made a home in your heart that you had now become the light of the world. You are the light of the world, meaning that you have many suns, miniature suns shining from your heart. You're not the moon of the world. You're not just reflecting God's light to the world. That would be too cold for us. You are, the, you are miniature suns shining the light of God's effulgence and his splendor to the world because he's made a home in your heart. That's how close we can get. That's the beauty of the union with Christ, that we have that access to the Father. Oh, it's, it's beautiful because before, you, to be able to get into God's presence, you had, the, you had the, the high priest once a year to go back to the Holy of Holies. And so you, you could never go back. You had to have a representative go back for you. But because of what Jesus has done, he's saying you are now all the high priests. You can all go back into the holy of holies. You can all have that access to the Father. I mean, it is a beautiful thing that we now, we, have, we, we take for granted, right? That we can go back into the holy of holies anytime we want. And so he unleashes the Holy Spirit on us. And so it's not just in one location, it's in many locations, And so God's spirit is in every single man, woman, and child's heart. These these little miniature lights shining the Shekinah glory cloud out. Well, how do you know if this is true? How do you know if this is true about someone else? I mean, you know that light just naturally attracts, right? You're in the dark, someone turns on a light, you see it. It attracts People want to be around someone who is a source of life and joy uh, and reality. And so lights attract. It's like, it's like the great theologians One Direction said, baby, you light up my life like nobody else. I was singing that yesterday and Kristen's like, are you really singing a One Direction song? <laughs> Somehow this had to make its way to the sermon. Now, <laughs> none, of us, none of us are, are like that. Uh, that either. Uh, None of us are just the light of the world all the time, right? We're always a mixture of that. We're a mixture of, of, of light and darkness in us, right? So there's some times in our lives where we need to sit under the lamp of someone else, and we need, and we need them, them to give us that light. And other times, then, we're the generators producing that light, where we're giving the light to others and things like this. And so do you realize that not just in this moment on Sunday morning that you have access to that light, but on Thursday morning, you can walk straight into God's presence. On Thursday morning, even when you're not feeling it, <laughs> you can walk straight into God's presence. And now that may mean, may mean something like a, you think of like, traditionally we think of quiet times. And sometimes we're like, what does that look like? What do I have to do? You know, do I have to be alone? I have to pray? I have to read? Does that have to be an hour? Three hours? 30 seconds? <laughs> what does that look like? Right? That could mean one of those options. It could mean you go on for a bike ride in Cameron Park. 
spending time. It could mean you talking with friends and talking about these good things. Like, what does this look like? <laughs> I can't spell it out for you because the light of the world is it's in many different places that you can't have that access. Before, you had to go to the, you had to go to the temple. But there's so many different ways that we can, we can interact with, with the Holy of Holies. And so the, whenever we start marinating, when he says, when did they understand? They, they understood when they saw the Son of Man lifted up. And so when we start marinating on what Jesus has done for us, this, this giant rescue mission for us, then the light starts to flicker on. And it might just be a low flicker. It may not feel like a giant light. But something, something gets started there. And so start there. But it's, it doesn't always attract, right? Light doesn't always attract. Sometimes light exposes and, and it can be painful. You ever sat in the dark and someone for a while and someone turns on the light suddenly and you're like, ah, stop, ah, <laughs> turn it off, <laughs> right? This happens in my house, apparently, <laughs> right? Someone turns on the light suddenly and, and it hurts. Why? Because our eyes have adjusted to the dark. We've, we've sat in the dark long enough that that becomes our, our reality. Now, some of y'all are like, some of y'all are like, uh, Bane. Oh, you think darkness is your ally, but you merely adopted the dark. I was born in it, molded by it. I practiced that, but I realized that no one can do the Bane accent well. <laughs> and I said, do I do it? You know, I'm about to go on sabbatical for a month. Let's get something out there. and you know, just... <laughs> They'll give me a pass. Okay, cool. <laughs> How much darkness How much darkness have we just become accustomed to? And we've just sat in the dark. And we have been molded by the dark. And when someone flicks the light on, it, it becomes appalling. We're actually repelled by the light. We're like, stop, turn the light off. I don't want to hear any of that. That... That is what's happening in our very day. People sh may, may shine the light on and people don't want to hear the light. That's what the Pharisees did. They said, I want to stay in the dark. And this is the thing, this is the thing about light. Spurgeon has this great quote and it's just also so sad. The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. The light can melt you or it can harden you. This is what Martin Luther King was, was so worried about, this, this conscious stupidity or this, this willful ignorance, to be willfully ignorant. And the reason Jesus is so stark and harsh with these Pharisees, you wonder why, why is he so mean to them? Because he, he's realizing that they are denying the very stakes that are, that are at play here. Like, you can, don't just mess around with this. You don't just mess around with this eternal news. You don't just mess around with, with racism. This is serious stuff. If you get it wrong, you will die. Do you see how the heart of a Savior, even for the Pharisees, he wants them to repent too. He wants them to repent too. He doesn't want any to perish. But he sees their hearts hardening like clay. And in verse 21, he says, Once more Jesus said to them, I'm going away. You will look for me and you will die in your sin. Which just sounds so mean. <laughs> sounds so harsh. But he's seeing their hearts start to harden. 
And he's trying to till it up. He doesn't want to see them go down that path. And so for you, I, I know the light can hurt when it's turned on, but I just said, give it a minute to let your eyes adjust. <laughs> Maybe we've been in dark, the dark too long, and it's just really painful to give up the dark. Let your eyes adjust to the beauty that's before you. Let your heart be melted by the love our Savior has for you. Lastly, if, you've, if, if a friend invited you today, I just want you to later tell them thank you. It can, be a, it can be a hard thing to, to feel that, that burden or that fear of inviting someone to a church because you're like, oh, I know they're going to judge me. They're going to they're gonna think something of me. But just, I say, feel honored that they chose to take that risk because what they're doing, they, they know that you may not love it or whatever. You may, you may not ever believe in what, what they believe, but they're saying, this light is so good, I want to share it with others. This light brings me joy I'd love to share that joy with others. So whether you believe it or not, people are thankful that they, they wanted to share something that, that lights up their life, and they want to share that light with you as well. And so today, what Moses couldn't do, but he desperately wanted to do, we get to do. We get to stand in that presence of God, in the full splendor of God, mediated by Jesus Christ, without judgment, and like the floodlight that comes on and just lights up a house, and you see the, the beams coming out of the house, the, the light of God is going to flood our hearts, and may it just may it come out. May it be brimming out of us. Because this world can be a very dark place. As many of you know, it can be a very dark place. And so I just say, let's all see the beauty and the truth and the joy of God's light. And so I encourage you to spend time in that light this week, and then remember that we are many sons. Bring that light with you. And I just say, surprise someone. Surprise them with, with kindness, with compassion, with mercy. Why? Because Jesus did for us. It surprised us that he would show compassion and kindness and mercy on me. Let me pray for us.